Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Wormburner Podcast. Before we get into today's very special episode, I wanted to go ahead and shout out our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Wormburner Podcast, and if you have not already, check out our website, the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. Again, that is the wormburner podcastcaptivatefm Our newest announcement for this episode as well, we have a Twitter. <gasps> We're a little... <laughs> We're a little late to the party when it comes to Twitter, but I'm keeping up with all of our social medias and making sure that we have great content for you guys, our great listeners. So if you want our Twitter handle, it is at WormburnerPDCST. So it's basically podcast, but without the vowels. So again, our tag is at WormburnerPD. CST. So if you want to go ahead and give us a follow on our Twitter, we would absolutely love it as well as interact with our voting and all of our different tweets that we have. We've got so many different things going on because of course when you take a two-week break, the world of soccer is not going to stop. So that's one of the reasons why we ended up making in creating a Twitter account. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this week's very, very special episode. Alright, so for this week's episode on the Wormburner Podcast, I have a really, really special episode for you guys. For this week, I managed to get back both of our previous guests for the same episode. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Brandon Brown and Mr. Tucker Green. Hey, hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're really excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you guys for showing up. It, it's really awesome, and I'm, I'm so excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about so much. So before I get into today's episode, though, I at least wanted to highlight you guys' career, or not career, but this previous year that you guys have had. It's another really good season. Even though you weren't with your previous team, you're with Florence JV team. And they were able to place third place in the Albertville JV Cup. You finished with a 12 win, two losses, and one draw record, which is above 80%, which that in itself is incredible. And then you had also notable wins against Haleyville, two wins against Russellville, and a tournament win against Mountain Brook. How did you... Tell me, tell me a little bit about the year. I, I want to hear anything else that I may not have alluded to. How did you guys like the year? Was there any highlights to it? How did, how did it go? Yeah, I think I'm the one always breaking it down, so I think I'll throw it over to Tucker first. Okay. Um, yeah, my, my, I think the thing I'm most proud about, I mean, obviously, win, wins and losses is always uh, the way you're measured as a coach, but um I think the one thing I'm really proud about is towards the end of the season, you know, we we pushed a lot of guys up into the varsity realm. So, you know, as coaches at the JV level, you kind of do have to base your success on are we developing players to play at the next level? And that was something I think we can hang our hat on a little bit that we did push a, a good chunk to at least be practicing or have the invite to practice at the end of the season with the varsity team. Yeah, it's really good breakdown. And 
I think some specific highlights uh, you kind of want to look for each season is the best teams, they bring on subs and can impact the game just as well, right? So uh, I think early on it was kind of frustrating because uh, the depth just wasn't there and being able to bring a a player on and play the way that you want to play and still protect the goal and get some goals uh, was pretty tough. But I think by the end of it, we definitely had several players on the bench that we could bring in and still positively impact the game all the way up till one of our practice squad players getting a goal there at the end of the season to, yeah, to round it awesome. out. Um, so just really fun to see that development in the team throughout the year. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that I, I really wanted to add on to Tucker is wins, losses, and draws really don't measure a season when it comes to impact and what you beautifully – wrapped up as well Brendan is just going into the overall impact of a coach it can make or break a player in itself it can completely get rid of a driver a passion for soccer and thankfully and and I know that you guys love and and you guys are awesome with the sport it's just so sad sometimes to see some coaches get rid of that passion but You guys had an awesome season. I just wanted to take a minute and highlight that because you guys deserve a lot, a lot of recognition for that. And so I applaud you for this previous season. It was really awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's awesome. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's never a bad thing to go in and start defeating your opponent early in, in JV realm so that they know where we're coming from and we get up to the varsity level. And we we have a good structure right now. The varsity staff is awesome guys, so you know we we feel like we're in a position to succeed and makes our job a little bit more simple when you don't have to stress about what's coming down from over top. And it, you know, Glenn Harshad is the head coach for the varsity team, and he definitely let us be ourselves, and that uh, you know that that also helped a lot, I think. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Just having that structure, being able to and this is what we alluded to in our previous two episodes as well, is having that structure from the top down can be really, really impactful. It's and it's also just an addition to this episode as well. Um, So let's go ahead and get into the little debate slash discussion. I don't want to really call it a debate because I know that some of these points that we'll probably agree with or most of them we might agree with. But if there's definitely a healthy debate, I, I want to encourage it. I want to 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 bring it out is what I'm trying to say. Sure. And so I think this is one that has been talked about a lot. And this is one that we may eventually see in the MLS. I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller, sadly. <laughs> but with that being said, do you guys feel that the MLS should have a promotion relegation? And if so, why? Yeah, I mean, I love the idea of promotion relegation, but it has to fit into a culture, right? And mm-hmm. being, you know, really big Premier League fans and, and watching that you know, every single week. Uh, obviously, we really like the culture they've been able to put together over a, a large period of time. But you really have to change the way you do a lot of things in America to, I think, make that make sense. Just because with 
you know, a lot of our players want to go through college and be able to work their way onto a major league team, you know, whether it's going to a second tier and then up to the first tier. And with the draft going on from college, uh, with the salary caps and all these special things we do in America, you know, it just how do you fit in a promotion relegation schedule and still retain those aspects? I'm just not sure that you can, you know, somebody brilliant probably can think of a way to do it, but I think it's, it's either one or the other, right? Either adopt another culture or just stick with what you have now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I was going to bring up too is, you know, we're in this weird game where we as Americans feel the need to, compare ourselves to other nations and other top flights. And, you know, I think ultimately, as Brendan said, you know, we need to be American and make sure we do that. So when we talk about things like a salary cap or in this case, promotion relegation, you know, I just don't know if we're there yet. I think the structure would need to come first. And part of that structure that I personally think is you'd need to see the USL grow a bit, I think, um, right. Or, you know, even the, was it the UPSL United prospects league or something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, those, those things need to expand a significant bit because you're in a situation where, you know, there's not a ton of roster spots. And, you know, if you look at other, let's just say England, I mean, what you have five tiers plus, Oh, uh, in England, I think there's probably eight. I don't know if it's, but professional, I think you are right. I think it's about five. You know, so you, we don't have a structure set up right now to support promotion relegation because, I mean, you look at the salary caps. I just, you know, a team like the Tampa Bay Rowdies who've been around for, geez, since the beginning of time, it'd be exciting to see them get promoted, but I just, can they even support an MLS club? Can't, you know, I just don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we don't, until that structure's there, until we have a society that accepts soccer as a top tier, then I, I just, I think you're, you're, you know, it's just not possible. I can, I can definitely agree with that because even with the growth that has happened in the United States, it's still not enough. I mean, we can go back to when we had our first actual first division here in America, and that was part of the reason why the salary cap was even brought up in the first place for our second uh, creation of our top flight was because people invested so much money into the soccer uh, during the first league that it just wasn't able to be profitable at like at all. And so from then it just created this snowball effect and that's what it eventually led to the fold of that first U.S. professional league. And I would like to think that we are above that position now. I don't know, though, because, I mean, even then looking at what happened this past uh, week, we had the first CONCACAF Champions League champion crown from the United States in the Seattle Sounders. And that's a trophy that the United States itself has not held in over two decades. And to have that kind of 
impact that we need to maybe even create a promotion relegation or like you said, Brandon and Tucker creating that culture. We need something more than that. We definitely need something more than that. So that kind of leads me to the salary cap in itself. So with the salary cap, the, the MLS is actually, I believe one of two or three leagues in the entire world that has a salary cap. I know that the La Liga in Spain, they have like a rough salary cap, but it's extremely loose based off of income and all that, as well as Australia has a salary cap. It's weird because isn't isn't Barca like isn't their salary cap for next season like negative 144 million or something? Uh, like I saw that. Able to figure it out. Yeah, like I don't even understand how that works. Yeah, sell 144 million to have a salary. <laughs> that's where when it comes to La Liga, I think it's a, a bit wonky, especially with COVID previously happening. It's just yeah. messed up that league. But that goes to the salary cap here in the United States, kind of shifting away from should we have a salary cap? When could we maybe realistically get rid of the salary cap? How long Maybe, would you guys say five years, 10 years? Because with the growth that we have had, it seems like it, it could be a plausible thing to happen probably within the next 10 years, maybe. I don't know. But what do you guys think? I think, you know, what's going to have to happen is those people are going to have to start investing more. So, you know, from an economics standpoint, and it's weird I'm saying this before the guy who actually works in money is, but uh, no, I think it's just going to be a situation where I would love to tell you three to five years. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 10 years and I wouldn't be surprised if it was 20 years because, you know, I, I don't have a ton of optimism for that subject line right now as far as the investment in American soccer, but I would love to get proven wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. While I am very much for promotion relegation, uh, I don't know how much I am for the salary cap idea. Uh, I'm not I'm not super against it. I, I understand the logic behind it, you know, and I, I do think money has gotten the league to where it is at this point. Honestly, I mean, um, just the the American money that we have in this country versus other countries has helped propel us forward to where we are. And I think it will continue to propel us where we want to go. But in saying that, if it's going to be money that's pushing us forward rather than actual structure, then it's going to take a lot of focus to implement the right ideas to make sure that these teams are doing the right things. Uh, And I think that that's, that's a lot tougher than, you know, just developing the right culture. Yeah, it's 100%. It, it's when it comes to the finances, it you can make one decision that it may seem good on paper, but it goes a completely different direction. And I think it kind of shows in one quote that has been said numerous times over multiple different social media sites especially with these buyouts in england going on money doesn't necessarily buy success and you as we had already talked about in our previous interviews as well as 
even this one, you need to be able to know how to smartly invest to where you know that you're going to be getting a really good outcome with that investment. And I I think I stand similar to you, Brendan, over maybe not letting the salary cap go. I, I still don't even know myself because being where the United States is, maybe that's a negative if we release this salary cap we could just invest so much money to the point that we kind of don't know what to do with it and so we'll just literally throw it at anything that wants it and that's definitely not a situation that the mls needs to be in and i think that is testament to what we're saying earlier there needs to be a structure or a way that we can invest this money smart and pull the results that way so with that i wanted to kind of leave the salary cap and move on to the more controversial i think when it comes to the more controversial topic when it comes to the list that i had given you guys about the episode today that is when we look at the men's national team as of March 30th, 2022, 13 out of the 27 players that were on that roster were at or under the age of 24 years old. Out of those 13 players, one of them played at college, which was Reggie Cannon at UCLA. Everyone else had either in the process of those college years turned pro or they were pro at 18 years old. And even one of the players that were even left out of the squad, the squad, Weston McKinney, he turned down a full ride soccer scholarship to the university of Virginia just to go play professional at Schalke in Germany. With this kind of men's national team, up and coming here in the U.S., are we seeing the end of an era when it comes to college being the way to go pro? Because, of course, with all the other leagues in the United States, you have the MLB, you have football, American football specifically. Those were the ways to go pro here in the, the these are the ways to go pro in the United States. Is soccer going a different way? Well, I'll kick this off by asking Tucker, why did you go to college? I mean, I think that probably corresponds with what I was going to say, too, because, you know, I went to college because that's what I thought I had to do. And it, you know, I failed miserably as a student athlete, and I'm fine with admitting that. So go to college as a hockey player and wanted to be a hockey player, not a student. So, Mm -hmm. but you know, the hockey world at that point, that's a whole nother longer story, was set up that way for American players. You, Your best bet to continue playing was to go play in college for your four years or five years, depending. And I, I, I think the first thing in expansion is the idea that there is not just one route. So do I think there's, it's the end? Maybe not. Do I think that... We're at a point where there is not just one route anymore to become a professional soccer player. Heck yeah. And that 
I look at that as a positive thing. This is a very exciting time for the U.S. men's national team because, you know, we're starting to carry some clout with some of these guys that we haven't necessarily had before. You know, if you're you're playing the Senegalese national team and you're, you know, playing at UCLA, I mean, those guys don't know what the heck you're even talking about. But, you know, if you're in the academy at Bayern or, you know, like Weston at Schalke, you, you just, that's such a cool thing. And I think, you know, I'll always say that that is great to be ex- expanding just besides the one route of I'm going to finish high school, I'm going to go play college, and then if I'm lucky, I can continue playing. I'd agree with that, but I think I really like committing. And when I say committing, I mean you have an idea and you go after it. If you succeed, you succeed. If you fail, you fail. That's okay. We learn either way, right? And to me, the right way, because we just need to take a page out of the playbook from the rest of the world, especially Europe when it comes to soccer, is if you truly think you have the gifts to be able to succeed in this sport, go to an academy. Yeah. I mean, the NCAA is the first to tell you we're not necessarily graduating athletes, we're graduating champions and champions in their field. They're graduating um, these players to get the degrees to then go on and do something else. Um, whereas an academy is not going to tell you that. Their only goal is to get you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to Tucker's point, yeah, both routes is needed. It's great. You know, you can still keep that and you're going to get some good players that go through college programs. Um, and I think that that is still needed. Uh, but again, I think to catch up with, with Europe, I think you have to develop some more academies and have players skip that like we've seen on the U.S. national team now that the younger players go through um, just to go ahead and start diving into that career and see if it's for them. Mm-hmm. I think I, I really like the way that Tucker phrased it. It's not the end of the era, but it's a different way of approaching it. I wish I phrased that question like that, but it, it's neither here nor there now. But it, I think that's 100% correct. Is It's a completely different way to view soccer, completely different. And it may not be something that we're used to right now. And I agree with Brendan when it comes to the way that we need to be moving forward is this should be – the more dominant out of the two. I don't want to discourage going to college because, I mean, all three of us literally went to college. <laughs> it's one of those things that I don't want to criticize it, and especially with the individuals like Reggie Cannon that actually made it happen. They're at this professional level and even going into the men's national team, and they went through college. I think – we need to respect both and put more while also putting more effort into going pro at younger ages to allow for the more competitive and to have that pressure uh, to allow these stars to really show themselves. It it's a it's both. Yeah. I agree. So my personal story is went to college as a hockey player. I made it about two years. 
after two years, I think I left with maybe a 0.37 GPA or something like that. Something quite impressive. I, um, you know, I wasn't ready to be a student and an athlete. I stayed trying to be an athlete. I did that when I decided to go back and finish my degree. You know, I, I brought that GPA all the way up to I think I graduated with like a 363 combined. And, you know, like like you guys say, I think it's important that you that, you, that we differentiate that, you know, this idea that you have to have that education to be successful doesn't mean that you can't get it after your playing career. And I think like, you know, go to the academy, get opportunity. And then if it doesn't work out, you can go to school later. That's okay. That's not the end of the world. And too often, I think we put too much emphasis on, you know, you need to go get your degree and then go follow your dreams instead of follow your dream and be a non-traditional student if it doesn't work out and, you know, figure out your plan B. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I mean, I'll marry that with what I said, you know, you're not going to, after you go to college, decide you want to go to an academy at the age of 25 right. and try this. I mean, your time has passed. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is if you try soccer for a while uh, and you don't make it, you can go back and get your degree. Uh, I think that should be accepted, and I think that's a much better way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of delves into the realm of – when it comes to the American ideology of going through school, going through college, get your nine to five job. That's kind of a a little bit of that mentality going into soccer. And I think as you guys had said, we need to think about re rearranging that. And I think that is definitely a a 100%. It needs to be talked about possibly going to an academy going to an academy going to all of these places to play and then go back for college that shouldn't be frowned upon at all so with that i think that's definitely a good stopping point for that question and i felt like we we agreed on a lot while we also disagreed a little bit i think that was that was really good going into the next little area for our questions let's go ahead and start with one i don't know if it's going to be controversial but let's see Hmm. who do you guys think is the best american soccer manager Hmm. that's tough i i'm gonna do the obvious one just to get this rolling uh i'm gonna go with jesse marsh just because Mm. you know i think he's definitely that exciting person right now uh, that's tough though because I, I feel like that's going to be a frontier that we need to take some steps in and why american soccer managers aren't being hired as often mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think you know bob bradley was able to do some fun stuff and and win some competitive matches uh i still think in my opinion in in the modern day that bruce arena was probably the most winning coach in a sense of he really got a program running. Um, now it was nothing sustainable, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I mean, my my answer right now would be Jesse Marsh, just because he has been able to go uh, into the European League and learn a lot from the right people, which has developed him um, because he's had the right attitude and he continues to coach with the right attitude uh, and soak everything up like a sponge and then truly deliver that to a team. I mean, um, you know, I know there's a bunch of Ted Lasso comments and whatever yeah. around around Jesse Marsh, but um, the fact that he's been able to go in there and give Leeds the opportunity to not be relegated, uh, I think is huge because that team was in shambles. Uh, I think around there he is respected, so I think that should tell us a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that that was one person that I wasn't entirely sure. He, his name was going to get brought up because, of course, you have the Bob Bradleys, the Bruce Arenas, and then now you also have the Brian Smeltzers, which is uh, the Seattle Sounders head coach uh, with winning the CONCACAF Champions League. It's at least worth talking about. But I feel like personally, and I, I want to see if you guys agree with me, of course, when you're talking about titles, wins, all that, you have to put Bruce Arena there. Uh, of course. But with this but here, <laughs> I think that Jesse Marsh has the largest potential. Jesse, Jesse Marsh and um, Brian Klarhart, Klarhart mm. or whatever, the Sundsvall in Sweden mm, manager mm-hmm. who was at UConn and Temple, and the United assistant, is it Chris Armas? Er- yeah. Armas. You know, those guys all, I think, those are the three that you just realize they're in a position now to take leaps and bounds. If if anybody was in that position, it's them, I guess, is the way to say mm-hmm. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're the ones with the most potential because the way you become the best manager is just a bunch of different experiences. Yeah. Uh, and if you stay in one place at one level, you're just not going to get what you need. Exactly, yeah. And to also bring up Jesse Marsh as well, I at least wanted to bring up my points with him is a lot of people don't really connect two and two together. But Brian or sorry, Jesse Marsh, I don't know why I messed up his name just then, but Jesse Marsh uh, was the manager of Salzburg when Erling Brent Holland was there. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of people connect that too. And to be able to do all of these things that Jesse has been doing while also being under the age of 50 years old is unbelievable. (laughs) And, you know, with the Holland point, I mean, Holland hadn't quite become the sensation he is when Marsh brings him in at 19. So, you know, you, you know, I know, I understand he had blown up Norwegian league, but yeah. You know, it's still it's still kind of a cool thing for the tool belt to know, you know, an American played part in, you know, in 2019, the beginning of, you know, a guy who's what I think transfer market has Holland right now at 150 million or something like that, even though City got a steal. And I still hate City. It makes me want to throw up. I mean, potentially the top player in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, watch watch your comments, Tucker. No. (laughs) I have a giant Liverpool tattoo on my arm, so I'll just tell you that I would really like to throw up on 
Pep Guardiola's head. <laughs> that would that would be like a you know It'd make be a, a dream make a wish you know like <laughs> if I if I had an uncurable cancer I think that's what I'm asking for. Oh, he's about to lift the trophy again. Yeah. Oh, well, hey, hey, we we also can't really put too much praise on City either because of that Champions League choke that they had. So. Sure. With tomorrow with Leeds playing City, I'm just going to tell you, you know, the irony of this podcast episode and us doing this and talking about these things. Oh, if Jesse Marsh knocks them off the top of the mountain tomorrow, I think I'm going to send him a bouquet of flowers. (laughs) I don't, that's actually the thing, too, is now that you mentioned that, I don't know how I feel. Right? It's set up for the perfect story now. Ah, uh, well, if it happens, you called it. I I have to say, you called yeah. it. If that happens, stay tuned. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So with that, I wanted to wrap up the last two questions that I had for this section, and just get an overall view from you guys. What do you guys think? it would take for the United States to get the recognition in soccer that we may or may not deserve um, to wrap that up. Uh, we had alluded to it a little bit with the Ted Lasso comments, not to, not to pick on Manchester United too much, but you with, with, <laughs> with the, the assistant for Manchester United being called Ted Lasso and then Jesse Lungard's brother coming out, I think two weeks ago and absolutely bashing the Glazers, which, of course, if you don't know, are American managers saying that they don't know what an offside trap is, which, I mean, a testament to Jesse Lingard's brother. Most Americans may not know what that is, but uh, I hope I, that the Glazers do. I, and, I wouldn't be surprised if the Glazers didn't, but. <laughs> <laughs> little little sucker punch there, yep. Brendan. All right. oh, I mean, I'll take that one. And, yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but also taking into account with the CONCACAF Champions League title win, Liga Mekis is going to be coming after us hard. And if we think that they didn't take anything less than personal, like a personal insult to them, every single team in Liga Mekis – we are sorely mistaken, and I guarantee you next year they are going to be looking to humiliate us. It kind of goes back to that question. What do you guys think it would take to get that recognition? Well, I think it's some big things. It's some small things, uh, and I hate to say the the CONCACAF win is small, but I think it's going to take the, quote, small things like winning CONCACAF, like Chris Armas and Jesse Marsh doing well and proving themselves. So it takes some of those small things to um, get that credibility. And that's more so a structural thing. But let's be real. We're not going to get the credibility as a country until the men's national team does well. I mean, the women have been doing, you know, well for a while now, and that's great to see. And I think that that has, uh, improved the sport globally very well, and I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the true barometer of where U.S. soccer is is how well the men's national team performs. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it, that's the respect 
I think that's the final step for the respect question. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that respect question has been around 20 plus years now. And it's because there's never been a point where we've consistently performed at the international level that we can be proud of. And that's not knocking a lot of great individual players and a lot of great teams. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and at no point do I, I want to come across as saying that we've sucked, but, you know, we just have never performed at a level at which, you know, other countries have. And truth be told, there needs to come a moment where we as Americans have so much pride in our men's national team. We don't have other international squads that that we follow. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit, you know, I consider myself more of a Scotland fan having supported them longer. Mm -hmm. And as, you know, an American kid who's spent almost 30 years now in U.S. soccer, you you know, that's terrible. And I'll admit that about myself. I'll admit that I know a lot of people who are like that, too, that we, you know, we find reasons to watch other teams instead of the fact that, you know, it's a source of pride for us as Americans to watch our own national team. Yeah, and I'm a big, you know, Portugal and England fan, and I support them in tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think somebody's feedback would be, oh, well, Italy hasn't qualified again. Well, look at who they have to qualify against. Right. Like, mm. that's one thing. Let's let's look at who we have to qualify against. I mean, there should be no excuse here. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, you know, especially that happened four years ago, it's just absurd to be in that place when, in my opinion, there is probably the most financial support in this country to see um, the league and development of U.S. soccer players succeed versus, you know, obviously a lot of other CONCACAF countries. Well, if you even look at other, you know, Canada has taken leaps and bounds. Oh, my Lord. You know, Tim Weah and Alfonso Davis. I mean, you know, the, we, you know, you just, it's exciting to be the new kids on the block and to have these players, which we do. I mean, like you said, I mean, we have a ton of players who, are playing for great global clubs, but it's just not enough. We we need that emblem on the chest needs to be something you die for. And until we have a team who has that success and you go, man, those those guys are proud Americans willing to die for that emblem. You know, it's 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 hard for old school fans like us to say you know we're respected or anything like that i just don't think we're there yet yeah i can i can definitely agree even even though i really really wish that something Concacaf related on the club level will be enough that's just kind of my wishful thinking side coming out i think you guys hit the nail on the head with that one, I genuinely think the only time we're going to get that respect is if the national team steps up. And at least, at least based off of what happened four years ago, we got a little bit. <laughs> so with that, 
I wanted to go ahead and wrap up this discussion slash debate section of the episode. Was there any last comments or anything that you guys wanted to say or anything that may not have been said before? Yeah, I'm glad we could keep it friendly. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> There's most, most people don't know we hate each other. <laughs> I find that very hard to believe. I'm sorry. Great working relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and some people's relationships are built on love. Ours is built on hate because he's a United <laughs> fan. I'm a Liverpool fan. Well, yeah, you gotta you gotta have some kind of some some kind of rivalry there. You yeah, have throw to throw a city fan into the mix and this is what you get. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Just throw the oddball city fan in there. <laughs> You're right. You guys are hundred percent right. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, we will get back to the PK, the the long-awaited PK shootout between Mr. Brandon Brown and Mr. Tucker Green. All right, and so we are back for the long-anticipated PK shootout between the two individuals that beat me in the previous season. I'm still a little bit better about it, as you can tell, but <laughs> that's okay. I I want to go ahead and let's 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 get this underway. Is is there anything you want to say to each other before we start or anything? You're going down. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Don't no no hateful words now. No. <laughs> we'll we'll save it for after the podcast. This is a family friendly podcast. <laughs> very true. Very true. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll um, Brandon, for you. <laughs> Alrighty, so do we know maybe who wants to start first? We'll let the ladies start first. I was thinking we let the youngin start first. Oh. Late rock, rock, paper, rock, scissors? Yeah, rock, paper, scissors. Paper, scissors, shoot. Uh, Looks like you're up, Sally. Right, I'm up, I'm up. Let's bring it. Alrighty. So the topic of round one, question one, is the English Premier League. Oh, yeah. Dang. Which current Premier League team is the only English side to have won the English top flight and then get relegated the very next season? Everton, Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea, or Brentford? That's tough, and I had a guess before you listed them, and it was your first option A, so I will go with Everton. So you have gone with number one Everton, top left corner, and it's saved. Oh. It was actually Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Love and it. I- if I'm not mistaken, it was the 1973 season that we won the title. It was literally the only one before the 2011-12 season. And uh, then we got relegated the very next season. That's pretty cool. I like that. So if you win this year, you'll get relegated again, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Don't put that juju on us. Imagine Holland in second year. Oh, no. No, I can imagine the jokes. He's he's tearing that contract up if that happens. <laughs> there has to be there has to be at least a relegation release clause. Or yeah, something. for real. Oh my lord. Oh, well, I hope that that doesn't happen. All right, Mr. Tucker Green, are oh, you ready? Oh, ready. 
Alrighty. So round one, question two. We're staying in England. Norwich City holds the record for the highest finish in the Premier League with a negative goal differential. What place did they finish with a negative four goal differential? Second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth? Oh, they all sound pretty incredible. Yeah. I am. I had a spot in mind, so I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say fifth. You're going for fifth, so top right corner. Yeah. And it's being saved again. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> so Norwich finished third. Third. That's crazy. Negative and four goal differential. Yeah, it's crazy. I saw that, and I'm like, there's no way they finished third. And sure enough, they did. <laughs> yeah. I believe that was the 2006-07 season. So it's okay. fairly recent. Yeah, that's that's way more recent. I should have known that. I like it. All righty. So, Brendan, are you ready for your second question? Yeah, I got this one. All righty. So with that, we're still staying in England. <laughs> Very anticlimactic, but that's okay. So your question, Brendan, which team holds the record for the least points in a Premier League season with 11? Ouch. (laughs) Huddersfield, Sunderland, Derby County, Aston Villa, or QPR? Hmm. Some good options in there. There was a few that came to mind before you listed those, so this is going to be tough for him. Yeah. Part of me wants to say Derby, but I think I'm going to go with Huddersfield. So you've you had thought about Derby, but you're going with with Huddersfield, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Don't make me rethink it. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) So you've gone top left, Huddersfield. Brendan, you should have stuck with your original guess. Oh, yeah. It was Darby County with 11 points. Man. That's okay, though. That's okay. It, That's a rough campaign right there. 11 points. Yeah. And, and just to add to the difficulty, every other team except for QPR in that list also has, like, a really low rating at one point. They, yeah. I think it was Darby has the lowest. I think next is Aston Villa. Then it was Sutherland and then it was Huddersfield. Yeah, that makes sense. So it was it was a difficult question to say the least. Yeah, this is so, really good. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> but going to round two, question two. Mr. Tucker, are you ready? I'm ready. All righty. So which English team? Holds the record. Oh, sorry. We're still staying in England. Okay. Shock. Okay. okay. Which English team holds the record for winning the most, or sorry, winning more Champions League slash Champions Cup titles than domestic titles? Ooh. Nottingham Forest, Leeds United, Preston North End, Derby County, again showing up, or Aston Villa? I'm going to go with Leeds because of Cluffy. Oof. 
So Leeds United with Cluffy in mind. Yep. Top right corner. And it's saved again. So you were on the right mindset. Okay. It was Cluffy. But Nottingham? But Nottingham. Are, yeah, are, I, was my, I went back and forth between those two. So that actually wraps up our England questions for the PK shootout. Because apparently we're both terrible. <laughs> it's, that's okay. That's, it's just it's tight competition, that's for sure. That's right. Really good keepers. So for Brend, Mr. Brendan, are you ready for your third question? Yes, sir. Alrighty, so for round three, question one, we're going to overall broad Europe. Which of these teams have won the most Champions League Champions Cup titles? Reims from France, Club Bruges from Belgium, Panathinaikos from Greece, Valencia from Spain, or Red Star Belgrade? From Serbia. Hmm. I'll go with Club Bruges. Alrighty. You've gone with Club Bruges. Top right. And it's gone off the post and out. Ugh. It's it's it was so close. It was actually the bottom right with Bell Bell Bellstar Belgrade. <laughs> Red Star Belgrade, I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> so uh Red Star has one Champions League title. All of the other ones don't have one. Hmm. Ouch. Yeah. All righty. Round three, question two. Mr. Tucker, are you ready? Ready. All righty. We're sticking with the broad Europe again. Okay. So, which non-top five league team holds the record for the most Champions League Champions Cup titles. Feyenoord, SL Benfica, FC Porto, Celtic, or Ajax? I think you know which one you want to go with. I do know which one I want to go with, but I'm... What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I'm I'm down... Between Celtic and Ajax, I think I'll just go Celtic out of pride. Okay, so you've gone bottom left Celtic, and it's off the post. <laughs> it was Ajax. Oh my God, I knew I wanted I knew to get it was one of those two. Yeah, so, I knew yeah. I wanted to. That's twice now I've had the right answer on the. That's that's okay. That's okay. It's it's still close. One literally one of these could decide it. This is like a reverse PK. <laughs> Normally, oh, I, I tell my keepers that if they get one saved, they've done their job. In most, you know. This is this is like this is like I'm telling the shooters, man. If you just get one goal, we might win. <laughs> I've been in one of those before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well. The competition is definitely fierce with this, and and that's okay. So, with the fourth question, Brendan, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So, we're sticking with Europe again. So, which of these teams have been to the most – uh, sorry, not UEFA – most Europa League UEFA Cup finals – Without ever lifting the title. 
Athletic Club de Bilbao, Borussia Dortmund, Espanol, Marseille, or Arsenal FC? <laughs> I would hope it's the last, but I'm going to go with Espanol. Espanol. So you've gone dead down the center. Yeah, chip them. Question four. And the goalkeeper stayed put and saved it. Oh. It was Marseille with three appearances and not lifting the title. Interesting. So it's it's definitely a French thing to <laughs> show up to finals and not win it. <laughs> so <laughs> with that, Mr. Tucker Green, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So round four, question two. Staying in Europe. But we're going to national teams for this question. Okay. Which European national team is the only team in the world to have played and never lost to the Brazilian national team? Finland, Czech Republic, Norway, Sweden, or Austria? I know Sweden lost. On... I'm thinking it's either Austria or Czech Republic. I'm going to go with the Czechs. All right. So you've gone top right with the Czech Republic. And it's off the post. God. <laughs> it's, it is stiff competition. Holy cow. So the only European national team to have played the Brazilian national team and never lost was Norway. Okay. They've yep. played them four times. Wow. Won twice and drew twice. It so it's in Norway. I know, for real. Yeah, yeah. It's you got Erling Brandt Holland from there too. It's hmm. <laughs> it's it's a it's a role here. No. Hmm. But all right. So final two questions. How are we feeling, guys? I feel like I didn't put my boots on. <laughs> feel like I should have stayed in the locker room. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that at least one of you guys gets these last one of these last two questions. It's going to be down to the wire for this PK shootout. We've got uh, Scott Sterling in, in goalkeeper, the goalkeeping <laughs> ring here. <laughs> so, Mr. Brendan Brown, final question. Are you ready? Yeah, I got this one. So... With round five, question one, we're going to Darby's. Which Darby is known as the Darby of the Eternal Enemies? Panathinaikos versus Olympiakos. Rapid Vienna versus Austria Vienna. Young Boys versus Basel. Partizan versus Red Star Belgrade. And Roma versus Lazio. Ooh. I do like the sound of that Roma Lazio. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that one. Alrighty. So for the Derby of the Eternal Enemies, you've gone with Roma versus Lazio. Give me one. And the keeper saved it. No. I mean so, yeah. Is <laughs> it was very close. So Olympiakos versus Panathinaikos mm. is the Derby of the Eternal Enemies. Definitely had that Latin feel, so I figured it was. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So with that, 
Mr. Tucker Green, you've got the opportunity to clinch it. All right. This is the last question of the PK shootout. Let's see if you get it. So for round five, or yeah, round five, question two, it's miscellaneous general knowledge. Oh, God. But which European team is the quote most successful club in the world with the most domestic league titles sl benefica linfield fc celtic fc olympiacos or rangers fc we've come full circle we have come full circle i do pride thing the irish catholic in me is screaming right now um that's good. I'm going to go Celtic because it's a matter of pride. I see. I see. So you have gone with Celtic. And the goalkeeper stayed put in the middle. He saved it. But to also answer the question as well, it actually wasn't Rangers. Okay. It was Linfield FC in North Ireland. Yeah, I would never have gotten that one. <laughs> They they some of my shooting targets right then. They 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 literally just took the record this year. Okay. So that was one of the general knowledges of it it happened very recently. <laughs> so with that, would you guys like me to come up with a quick question or quick two questions uh to we wrap this up? Yeah, we gotta get a winner here, so give us something here. Alrighty. Give me one second, guys, and I will be right back. Got it. All right. So coming back from our little intermediary break, I had to come up with two more questions for the PK shootout. Are we ready to continue, guys? Yeah, taking them down now. Okay. I don't think either of us can suck trash right now. (laughs) That's okay. So the final two questions, Mr. Brandon Brown, are you ready for your potentially final question oh yeah okay so based off of recent history what was the most recent relegated team in the premier league to be represented in the europa league by winning the fa cup and i've slimmed it down to you guys or to four answers this time qpr wigan athletic Sunderland or Newcastle? It's a tough one. Really neat idea. I can't say I've seen many of those in the final. I think I should go with QPR. Alrighty, you've gone with QPR top left corner, and it's off the post. Oh, it was Wigan Athletic. Man, when they beat City two one. Impressive. Yeah. uh, But yes, that is the most recent team based off of my very quick research uh, was the was the latest one to represent themselves in the Europa League by way of the FA Cup and being in the English second division. Mr. Tucker Green, I'm ready. All righty. Which German side is the only team to have lost the Bundesliga, the DFB Pokal, 
and the Champions League in the same season. Bayer Leverkusen, Schalke 04, Borussia Mönchengladbach, or RB Leipzig. He feels very confident about this one. Oh. <laughs> no, I do not at all. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with Leverkusen. So you have gone top left with Leverkusen. And we have a winner. Oh. Bayer Leverkusen uh, lost all three within a two-week time span. And they that that deemed their nickname Bayer Neverkusen. <laughs> I can't believe I just got beaten in a shootout by a goalkeeper. <laughs> just wow. it's fate. It's, <laughs> it's fate. It's, it's what happens to you <laughs> because you're a United fan. I've been telling you for years. Oh man, come on. I mean, we're almost on a decade of me telling you. You're just never gonna be happy. <laughs> Oh, I am convinced of that now. <laughs> well, congratulations, Mr. Tucker Green. You have won the PK yep. shootout. I think I'm going to go to Disneyland. Yeah, whatever. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I know that I took a little bit more time. No, brother, it was awesome. I, I really appreciate this, you guys. I, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did doing it with you guys. Absolutely. Enjoyed Heck it. yeah, man. It was awesome. Awesome. Alrighty, guys, I'll let you go. All right, brother. Thank you. Alrighty, guys, so that is going to wrap up episode 10 of season 2 of the Wormburner podcast. I know it's a very long episode, this episode, but I hope that the content was worth listening to. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A million times thank you for listening all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Like I said, it was so much fun having a discussion with these two lovely gentlemen. And I hope that you guys have an amazing rest of the week this week. I'm just so excited to be back and recording these episodes for the Worm Burner podcast. If you have not already, go ahead and drop a like or a follow on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Worm Burner podcast. And if you have not already checked out our website, the dash worm burner dash podcast dot captivate dot FM again, that is the dash worm burner dash podcast dot captivate dot FM. And if you have not known or seen, we have our official Twitter now at Wormburner PDCST. So podcast, but without the vowels in it. So Wormburner PDCST. I hope you have an amazing week, like I said before, and I won't keep you guys any much longer. I hope you have a rest, great rest of the week. Stay safe, have fun, love soccer, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Ciao, everyone.